Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. episode is airing on Tuesday, November 8th, 2022. Good morning, everyone. It's Shannon here with you with another author interview. And of course, a look at this week's new books. So today, I have an interview with author Maya Rodale. And you may recognize her name if you are a historical romance reader. But earlier this year, she released a book that takes us more toward historical fiction as she does the first book in a series featuring Nellie Bly. And that book is called The Mad Girls of New York. So we talk about historical romance. We talk about why she made this switch. Um, I hope that you enjoy the interview and the book if you end up picking it up as much as I enjoyed them. So. Let's get started. I will start off, of course, with the usual housekeeping information. Then we will get into the interview, and I'll be back after that to talk about new books. You can find us on Facebook by searching for the Book Bistro Podcast. Once there, you can post to our timeline. You can also message us privately. If you want a more social interaction, you can join our Facebook listener group, which is pretty quiet at the moment, though we are looking at some ways of possibly revamping it. If Facebook is not your thing and you still would like to hang out with us, check us out on our WhatsApp group. You can subscribe to that either by messaging us through Facebook or by sending us an email, and one of us will be happy to add you. If you're looking to get a hold of us via email, you can do that by contacting the Book Bistro Podcast at gmail.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Book Bistro Podcast. This is Shannon, and today I am so, so excited to be talking to author Maya Rodale about her latest novel, The Mad Girls of New York which is scheduled to release in the U.S. on April 26th. Maya, thank you so much for joining me today. It's great to be here. Can we start with a brief introduction to the Mad Girls of New York so that listeners have a little bit of an idea what to expect if they haven't seen the blurb yet? Absolutely. The Mad Girls of New York is based on the true story of Nellie Bly, who in 1887 went off to Manhattan to make it as a reporter, um, which was not really the done thing then. And her first assignment, the only assignment she could get was to fake insanity and get herself committed to the local insane asylum and spend some time there and write about it. And she did. She famously said, I could and I would and I did. So The Mad Girls of New York is my fictionalized account of this true story. And I Yes. <laughs> I was going to go off and say more about it, but we've got time. <laughs> so before I picked this up to read, I actually read um, 10 Days in the Madhouse, which is the, the piece that Nellie Bly wrote. 
Um, and I was really interested to see, like, you know, what sort of um, changes might be made in, you know, in a fictional account. And as I was reading and then, you know, went on to to your book, um, you know, you could see like the the parallels and like, oh, you know, I remember like when this happened in the actual, you know, true, true account. And then you could see just like the the fictionalizing and the, you know, expanding on certain things to make it obviously into a full length novel. Um, what other research did you do into Nellie Bly as a person to sort of flesh her character out so that you could you know, really feel like you you knew and understood her? Well, Nellie was not only left behind 10 days in a madhouse, the, her story, um, she wrote a ton of um, articles. So she was a very prolific journalist. And the way she wrote, she really centered herself in the story. So it's not shocking to us today reading like first person Internet stories. Right. Um, like I did this. So you don't have to kind of thing. Um, but Nellie really invented that kind of so she left a ton of newspaper articles for me to read. There is one definitive biography of her, which is fascinating. And she comes up a lot in other people's nonfiction works on this era of stunt girl journalists. Um, Nellie, of course, was like the first one. And she really kicked off a phenomenon of women putting their bodies on the line to get these daring, exciting stories. And then writing these um, hugely popular articles about it. So I, I was able to get a lot of Nellie's own voice. And the other fact is she was a 20-something single woman in Manhattan. And once upon a time, I was a single 20-something woman in Manhattan, and I knew there was fun to be had. So um, I tried to blend her own written experience, her biography, and then me remembering what, what it felt like. So this is uh, billed as Nellie Bly book one, um, at least according to Goodreads and Amazon. So I'm wondering kind of what your plans are for this. Like what um, what can we expect sort of going <laughs> forward? Well, one thing I love about Nellie is um, she wrote so much and there's a lot more stories about Nellie to tell, and I'm especially fascinated by her years as a single woman in Manhattan doing all these adventurous stories. So to start, I have a bonus scene on my website, which I would say more about it, but it might be a spoiler. <laughs> um, so if you read the book, you'll be like, oh, yeah, I know what that scene is. Um, so that uh, will be available on April 26th. And then... I'm just plotting more Nellie stories because not only does she have these years in New York City being a stunt girl journalist, she then does this around the world race. She goes on to marry a millionaire and like run his company when he dies. So she's like a oh, wow. girl boss. Um, she goes back to reporting. She's, you know, on the front lines of World War One. She is never boring. There's a lot of Nellie to write about. This was a bit of a departure for you, it seems like, because like a lot of the stuff that I've seen from you in the past um, and what I know you, you know, sort of best for are um, historical romances like your Gilded Age Girls Club, um, things like that. So what sort of prompted you to switch gears a little bit and write sort of more historical fiction 
versus straight up historical romance. Right. I love historical romance. I love reading it and I love writing it. It is my favorite thing. It is my comfort read. Um, Historical romance forever. Having said that, when I read the story of Nellie, I was just so captivated by her character and her work and the world she lived in. And I knew I wanted to write it, but I also knew it wasn't a romance novel. And so I wanted to, you know, honor what a historical romance should be and what those readers want. And I want to honor Nellie and her story. So I made this little skip and a jump over to historical fiction. It just fit the story better. You know, we have kind of hints in, in the Mad Girls of New York, like little hints of, you know, flirtation um, and, and sort of interest, you know, attraction between Nellie and another character. But it definitely doesn't have that like full on, you know, tension that you expect um, in, in a historical romance. And I think, as you say, it does fit the story really well. Because, you know, if you're busy um, pretending to be insane so you can report <laughs> on conditions in a madhouse, um, probably romance, you know, is not a thing that you're, you're super concerned with at the time. Oh. <laughs> no, and I don't want to, like, write a madhouse romance. That's um, all kinds of ethical questions there. Um, but fun fact, uh, she did kind of hit it off with one of the doctors in the madhouse. And there were rumors in real life that she might've been engaged to him or had a thing with him. She visited him in Ohio like years later. So um, I know. So there's, there's lots of little flirtations all around with Nellie, but yeah, I, it's, it's her story just wasn't a romance. Um, But I did, I can't let it go either. So she has these flirtations with um, a character called Sam Colton, a rival reporter, because I love a right, if not rivals to lovers story of rivals to um, friends. And then she has this attraction with the mayor. Who, yes, the mayor. <laughs> I, like when I read this, it, she does this article in real life um, where she goes around New York city asking people if women should propose or not in like 1890. And she asks the hot bachelor mayor of New York City named Hugh Grant. True fact. <laughs> so I was like, I have to use this. Um, yes. So, <laughs> like, there's no world in which I let that plot funny go. So she has these um, these suggestions of romance in this book. And, you know, one thing I would love to explore more is how do those uh, relationships play out? Um, mm-hmm. with the, you know, the mayor of New York versus this rival reporter. Um, I think there's a lot of fun to be had there. But this is just the beginning. Yes. So can we talk a little bit about some of the fictional characters that you brought into the story, um, you know, that kind of give us a glimpse of what's going on on the outside while Nellie is in the asylum? Um you know, obviously, in a, a fictional work, you know, we kind of need some of those extra points of view. So I'm wondering, like, what, how did you decide on the characters that you wanted to create to sort of help propel the story forward? Great question. Well, um, I assume you're thinking of the characters of, like, Marion and Dorothy mm-hmm. and Harriet. Yes. Um, so 
Nellie's got girlfriends. I think one of the stories I love exploring more than any is the story of female friendship. Yes. And so that was like central from the beginning for me to make sure Nellie had friends. So she has Harriet, who um, is based on a real woman. I don't know if this was the real dynamic. I don't know that um, the real Harriet's path really crossed with Nellie's. Certainly not in the way it did in the book, but um, mm-hmm. she's a champion. She's got an older woman who champions her. Um, and then Nellie has these two rival friendly reporters in Marion and Dorothy. And Marion's another stunt girl journalist. So Nellie really started the practice, but um, all these other women just took it and ran with it. And so I wanted to give her friends who understood what she was going through, um, give her friends who could like challenge her, give her friends who could understand her. So those were really fun to make up, all those characters. They were super fun to write and they're all based on real people too. So as the series goes on, will we kind of see more about them and like some of their stories as well? Or will the focus stay very firmly on Nellie? The focus will be primarily on Nellie, but I really see, for example, Nellie and Marion in my head having this like Meredith and Christina friendship, Grey's Anatomy. Oh, (laughs) so that was the model in my mind where they're super competitive, but they're also each other's ride or die. Well, that will be excellent to see then um, as this goes on, like to kind of watch the mm-hmm. dynamic between them like grow and change and because um, I think you know we often read books where when we come into the story these really deep friendships are already established mm-hmm. um, and I think it's equally interesting to sort of watch them grow and change as our characters change so that you know we actually see like what draws people together and what what kinds of things in life you know, keep people around you and, and keep these people as your sort of you know, main source of support um, as opposed to being something that is like a foundational part of the character's backstory. Like you already know, you know, these people have like this group of friends that stays throughout the course of the book of the series. Right. And I've written like my wallflower series is three girls who are friends in the beginning, the middle, the end, and they're, yes. they don't have any hiccups with that. Um, but, you know, and then I look at something like and on Bridgerton, the Eloise and Penelope friendship. It's complicated, and but it's so loving. And as my, I, I never like the story where, like, women are pitted against each other. No. But I, I it's, there's something you can feel where you're a little bit competitive, a little bit comparing yourself, but ultimately like completely supportive or um, just a friend. It's complicated. It's one of the best relationships, you know, we'll have in our lives with our best friends. So I like they're to not write about always, it. They're just, they're not always as, uh, as sunny and, and happy as they can appear in some books. I think, you know, there is tension sometimes and, there is that sense of, you know, am I as good or as worthy or, you know, as popular as this other person? Right, right, exactly. So you can be, like, happy for them at the same time you feel a lot of other things. Yes. 
So you focus um, quite a bit on kind of that gilded age, um, you know, the right kind of before the turn of the century. Mm-hmm. And I think that's such a fascinating time in history um, and something that is pretty popular in the land of, of historical romance, which I think is is fantastic. Um, do you have other sort of areas of interest in terms of history that you might like to explore someday? Well, um, that, oh, ooh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I hadn't thought of that. So, you know, I've done the Regency. I feel very well versed in the Regency. Um, I'm still so deep into the Gilded Age. Yes. Um, I'm still obsessed with it. There's so much there. I mean, it's from 1860 to 1900 ish. Um, I, my other area of fascination is the women's suffrage movement in America. So that's from like 1848 to like 1920. So I might like move my, my bookends there a little bit. Um, I haven't thought about more other historical time periods as much because I'm just so immersed in these right now with my writing, but I would mm-hmm. never rule it out. And especially, um, other areas of the world. Um, you can get a very U.S. centric view, of course, in America. But, it's true. You know, there, other stuff was happening in other places. So um, I, I would love to explore more of that. So did you always know that you wanted to write? Like, what was your path to publishing? Well, I never grew up saying, like, I want to be a writer or anything like that. But then I found a piece of paper from when I was like 10 that was a short story called The Accident in the Ballroom. And I'm like, oh my God, (laughs) is there any other option for me than to become a historical romance writer? So um, I mainly got interested in writing when I was in college. So I was keeping a diary. Um, So I had like a daily writing practice in that sense. Nothing interesting ever happened. (laughs) Um, (laughs) but I, I started taking creative writing classes because I thought the homework would be easy because I could just make it up and the homework was not easy, but it was something I found I really wanted to put the time and effort into. And I would very happily just sit there for hours, moving commas around and um, rewriting sentences and things like that. So I started, um, really working on that. And I have a very common story in that, um, I started reading romance novels and like many readers, I'm like, "Ah, I bet I could write one of those. I would like to try writing one. I want to write this one I haven't read yet. So I wrote one um, because I didn't know, but I didn't know any better. (laughs) I didn't know how long it would take or how hard it would be. I I just dove in and, you know, when you're young and have a little more free time. Um, So I did it. And then I pursued publication and, you know, it's, here we are. And how many books? Later. Yeah, and, and how many books have you done now? I have done almost maybe like two dozen. Wow. About. <laughs> I have enough that I always have to go count. Um, and it's a mix of historical romance, nonfiction. I did a YA. I've got a kid's book. You did a YA? I did a YA. Um, oh, and goodness. it's with, yeah, uh, uh, Regency girl and a modern girl switch bodies. So it's like a freaky Friday 
modern historical. Yeah, it's called Alice and Gabby's Excellent Adventure. Ah, I'll have to look for that. I did not know you did a YA. (laughs) It's secret. It's not. It's not secret. Um, Yeah, it came out in the pandemic, and I think we were all just a little preoccupied. Oh, so it's like a recent YA. Yeah. Whoa. I usually (laughs) keep um, a pretty good eye on YA, and somehow I missed it. Well, I will send you a copy. I I feel a little... uh, uh, it was self-published, so you might not have gotten pitched uh, by a publisher. Yeah, I was trying to think, like, why didn't this get, like, like buzz? Like, I never knew. <laughs> um, I'll send you a copy. It's a really I fun book. It. I love it. It's, um, again, not quite a romance, but uh, my favorite thing of just exploring female friendship. So what kind of kind of differences did you find in sort of publishing that versus your like traditionally published, you know, like adult sort of romances and now historical fiction? Well, you know, I know the historical romance landscape so much more and so it was easier in that sense to do a, to publish a work of historical fiction or romance. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a story that I just like it popped into my head I couldn't get it out of my head and I wrote it and I loved it and it surprised me and was just this fun escape for me and you know I love indie publishing so I was like what the heck I'll just put it out there um so I love to read YA I guess haven't read any in the past few months so um but I you I love it there's a, a sweetness to it um I'm just a lot of like intense feelings. Um, so I, I love it. Um, so I just wrote this book and I, it was in the middle of the world ending. I was like, I'm just going to self-publish it and <laughs> put it out there. There are so many like, gems sort of hidden in, in indie publishing. Um, and I, you know, like you don't get the, like the pitches about it, you know, as much like from, from publishing or from publicists mm-hmm. and, you know, every once in a while I'll run across something and I'm like, Whoa, like this person's written, you know, so many books. Like I've recently um, started reading Lucy score um, who writes like contemporary romance, um, a little bit of like women's fiction kind of. And I'm like, how did this person write like so many books? And like, I never knew. Right. Right. (laughs) Like, wow. I used to um, review romance for NPR, and I was, I could review indie. I know a lot of, like, you can't see me doing air quotes, like, official mainstream publications, you know, would have review self Um, But I could, and I would, and I love to. But any of those I reviewed, it was because I found them probably from people tweeting about them. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. but they uh indie authors don't seem to pitch the same way as um you know big big six publishers no. do or I guess big five, which is you know that's a different world it's not fair to hold them up to that standard, but um it's an interesting like gap I've gotten a few pitches um from like authors themselves mm-hmm. you know like they'll they'll write and say, you know hey i'm 
you know, I've just written this book and I'm self-publishing it. You know, are you interested? Um, but it's definitely not not common. I think most of the people that I speak to, mm-hmm. um, I would say like 80 percent um, are from the big traditional publishers, you know, that that we all that we all know. Right. Right. Yeah, they have um, people working very hard, <laughs> very yes. long hours, doing a lot to promote all those books. Um, and it's, you know, it's a second full-time job um, if you're a writer to um, maintain that aspect of it. So you're writing books, but then you also have to always be promoting them. Right, and doing all of the sort of business side of that that, like, is sort of – caught up in you know the different teams of a traditional publishing house that as an indie author you just wouldn't have right right exactly so I would love to chat with you about the romance that you read um because I think you know so many of us like so much so much of my team on book bistro reads um you know, a ton of romance. Some people pretty much read exclusively romance. And so I'm always really interested in sort of the the romance that is pleasing authors these days. You know, it's one thing to read as just a reader, but when someone actually knows the landscape as well as a lot of authors do, um, it intrigues me to know kind of what sort of up and coming things or even not so up and coming, but, you know, things that have been out for a while. Like, what are the things that you love? in historical romance? Oh my gosh. What do I love in historical, what do I not love in historical <laughs> romance? Well, I'm going to, um, I'm going to answer that question with one, one book in particular that's coming out by my friend, Adriana Herrera. Um, a Yay! Paris <laughs> in Paris. Yeah. Yes. Um, so what she did with this new historical is amazing and I want more of it. Um, so it's, you know, at its heart, what is it? Like a rivals to lovers story, marriage of convenience, things like that. It's ever, you know, the classic tropes we know in love and romance, but it's a, um, rum distilling heiress from the Caribbean who hooks up with this Scottish whiskey distilling duke. And, you know, we get this and it takes place largely in Paris. And so, yes. It's everything we love in a historical romance, but it's our horizons are expanded with it. Um, by getting a Parisian setting, by getting characters with different backgrounds. Um, you know, so I, I loved how masterfully she did that. And I think, I hope it creates a lot of space for more like that. Cause you know, as we were talking earlier, you know, okay, I like American history and the Regency and you kind of can think, okay, that's all. Right, that's all there is. Romance, I mean, romance only happened in those, but um, that's not true. So I would love to see more like, books like hers. I love her um, American Dreamer series. Yeah. And I was really excited to see that she was coming out with a historical. Um, in fact, I have it pre-ordered so that, you know, when it comes out, it will like pop into <laughs> my library immediately awesome. immediately it's like the, the joy of of pre-ordering I think is just like you know doing it way ahead of time and then on the day that the book comes out right it's, it's like, like a appears. gift to you 
Yes. Yes. And offers love people who pre-order. They are the ah. best people. <laughs> if you want to support an author you love, people listening, pre-order the book. It makes a world of difference. So do publishers kind of keep track of like what's pre-ordered and like what's, you know, popular to kind of help in knowing like, you know, what, what trends or what people. Um, Completely. Completely. Um, They're very closely watching pre-orders in my experience. Um, Authors are watching pre-orders and it kind of, um, you know, publishing moves so far in advance, but. um, Yes. So it really helps give a sense of like what has momentum and then all the pre-orders count toward the first week of sales so um that's like if you know you want to hit a list that's often the first week because you've got all the you know six months of sales plus the first week um all together right and if you can get like early readers to you know really like talk about it, bring mm-hmm. it to people's attention, then you can hopefully get more, you know, people exactly. like waiting for it, pre-ordering it. Exactly. I, I would say to anyone listening, if you love books, if you love a particular author, the best way to show your love is to tell people about it, post about it on social media and pre-order. I love that. I, I always am looking at at pre-orders. Um, Good. <laughs> I'm also a big fan of like recommending books to libraries. Yeah. So that they buy them, you know, if they're not already like in their collections. And I think, you know, some libraries obviously have a bigger budget and so can do this a bit better. Um, but I think, you know, it's always good to like let people know, you know, hey, like right. this would be a really good, you know, part of of your collection. And I think with like digital books now, mm-hmm. it, it just seems to, to work so well. Like, you know, you just fill out the like recommendation form. And if you're lucky and your library, you know, is able to fulfill a lot of that, um, you know, they can, they can get some of those books that, you know, maybe they otherwise wouldn't have, have gotten. Right. And they can they connect it books with readers so well so much love for libraries libraries are amazing I have eight library cards eight library oh my god yes (laughs) (laughs) how do you have time to read that much (laughs) oh because this this is what I do I read books I hang out with cats I talk about books like this is this is what I do You are winning. (laughs) Yes. Yes. All day, every day. (laughs) It it makes me so happy. (laughs) I'm so happy for you. Yes. (laughs) Well, I want to thank you so incredibly much for taking time. You know, we're just a little under a week ahead of your release um, as we're recording this. So I really appreciate you taking time for me today. So that people can get a little bit of an idea who you are and you know, learn about your books. Thank you so much. Um, it, it was great fun chatting with you. You asked great questions. Thank you. And yay, can book you lovers. Let, <laughs> yes. Can you let listeners know the best place to find you online? Yes. My home online is mayarodale.com. M-A-Y-A-R-O-D-A-L-E.com. 
Um, and if a website is too old fashioned, I am also on Twitter and Instagram as at Maya Rodell. Perfect. Again, this has been a discussion with author Maya Rodale about her upcoming novel, The Mad Girls of New York, which is scheduled to release in the U.S. on April 26th. All right, time for new books. So, as always, I'm going to start with a few things you've heard us talk about on previous episode, the most anticipated releases of November. I'm going to start with a couple of things that Georgina is looking forward to. And that's fitting since tomorrow is Georgina's birthday. You know, she should be the first beastress I mention here. We have Better Than Fiction by Alexa Martin. This is a contemporary romance. We also have a thriller, the new Lisa Unger, which Brooke is also excited about. I am, Christine is, Natalia is, Melissa probably is. Um, this is Secluded Cabin Sleeps Six. And again, this is by Lisa Unger. I then want to talk about some things that Kristen mentioned, and these are both contemporary romances. We have So That Happened. It's the first book in the Donovan series by Katie Bailey, who is, I don't know if this is her debut, but this is definitely an author that I'm not familiar with. And then we have The Princess and the Player. This is an installment in her Strangers in Love series, and it's by Ilsa Madden Mills, who is an author that Kristen has read before. And I think Stacy is interested in checking out um, some of this author's books. All right, so those are books that we've talked about previously. Let's move on now to some books that we haven't mentioned. I'm starting out with a book written by six authors. Count them, six. This is a young adult novel. It is Whiteout, Blackout, book two, by Danielle Clayton and others. Um, they wrote Blackout as a group in either early 2022 or late 2021. And it did super well, got all kinds of great reviews. And so now they're back with Whiteout. And, you know, I have read books written by two authors, even by three authors, but six I, I have never, never read. So this is one that I am definitely interested in picking up. Again, this is Whiteout, Blackout, book two by Danielle Clayton and others. So I want to move on here, staying with young adult books, but moving on to fantasy. We have Bloodmarked. This is the second book in the Legendborn cycle by Tracy Dion. And this is, as I said, young adult fantasy. Brooke talked about the first book in this series a couple of months ago on one of our um, magic episodes. I think it was the Complex Magical Systems episode. So if you've checked that episode out, then you've heard about the first book in this series. So this is Bloodmarked, Legend Born Cycle, book two by Tracy Dion. We also have Cursed. This is the second book in the Gilded duology by Marissa Meyer. And this is kind of like a, a superhero fantasy kind of thing. 
Um, Natalia, who is a big Marissa Meyer fan, talked about Gilded last year when it came out. And so now this is the sequel. You are probably more familiar with her Cinder, um, her Lunar Chronicles series, which is a sci-fi take on popular fairy tales. Um, but this one is a little bit different. So this is Cursed Gilded Duology, book two by Marissa Meyer. We also have Charm. This is the fifth book in Tracy Wolf's Crave series. If you like the Black Dagger Brotherhood, but you're looking for something that's a little more YA, then this might be a series that you enjoy. I thought about picking this up, honestly, but then I read the synopsis for the first book, and it looks like it is a little bit more bully romance than I'm usually comfortable with, so I'm not sure that that's going to be the best book for me, but that does not mean that it won't be a good book for someone else. So this is Charm, and it's Crave series, book five, by Tracy Wolf. So I'm still sticking with fantasy, but I want to move on to some more adult-themed um, books, and I want to start with Sugar Plum Spies. This is the second book in Jennifer Estep's Section 47 series. Um, the first book came out last year, and it was released as an Audible original. I'm not sure if the same is true of the second book, but it is out this week. I love Jennifer Estep for pretty much everything she does. She's done some great urban fantasy, some urban fantasy for young adults. She released a science fiction novel not too long ago. So she's just stellar in every possible way. This is Sugar Plum Spies, section 47, book two by Jennifer Estep. We also have a new Grace Draven book. This is Raven Unveiled. It is the third book in her Fallen Empire series. Grace Draven is not one of those authors who releases like a book a year. And as a result, I think she kind of falls off people's radar more than she should. Um, she's not someone that I hear about a lot. And the stuff that I've read by her, I've really, really liked. So if you're looking for you know, some fantasy that, more like fantasy romance, I guess I would say, um, then I would highly recommend that you check out some of the Grace Draven books out there. And this one is Raven Unveiled. It's the third book in the Fallen Empire series. All right, let's move on now to some mysteries, thrillers, you know, nice suspenseful things. I'm starting out with a book called Are You Awake? And this is by Claire McGowan. It is the story of a missing girl and two witnesses. Now, these witnesses don't trust their perceptions of what they saw. And so I'm not sure what they saw. But if you want to find out, you'll have to pick it up. It is Are You Awake? by Claire McGowan. We also have The Resemblance. This is a debut. It's by Lauren Noffitt. And it is compared as so many dark academia thrillers are, especially if they're set on a college campus, this is compared to The Secret History. 
Now, it's also compared to The Likeness by Tana French, which I think is one of the best dark academia thrillers you could have. So I don't know. I don't know if it's really a good comp for The Secret History, but if you pick it up and you love it, definitely let me know. This is The Resemblance, and it's by Lauren Nossett. All right. We also have a new Angela Marsons book. This is Hidden Scars. It is the seventh book, no, the 17th book, I'm sorry, in the Detective Kimstone series. As I said, it's by Angela Marsons. These are British police procedurals with a very prickly, often unlikable heroine. I am not at all current with this series. I've read the first like six or seven. And then I stopped, not for any like, real reason that I can put my finger on. I just stopped. Um, Brooke, though, like devours these pretty much as soon as they come out. Um, so if you're looking for a good police procedural, you might want to pick this one up. It's Hidden, Scar Hidden Scars, D.I. Kim Stone, book 17 by Angela Marsons. And just so you know, it comes out on Wednesday the 9th as opposed to Tuesday the 8th. We also have a historical mystery. This is Some Touch of Madness. This is A Gentlewoman's Guide to Murder, book two by Victoria Hamilton. So if you like, um, like Diane Harvey's Countess Mysteries or Tasha Alexander's Lady Emily Mysteries, um, some of the things written by Annalie Huber or Deanna Rayborn, then this series might be up your alley. Um, these are historical mysteries set in Britain with romantic elements running through. So this is Some Touch of Madness, A Gentlewoman's Guide to Murder, book two by Victoria Hamilton. All right, I'm sticking with historicals, but I'm switching genres a little bit. We have a historical romance. This is Never Rescue a Rogue. It is The Marywell Sisters, book two by Virginia Heath. And I'm going to echo some of what I said about Grace Draven when I talk about Virginia Heath, because she is an author who, although she publishes quite a few books, um, often a couple of books a year, she is not someone who gets a ton of attention. And that's sad, because I read um, Never Fall for Your Fiancé, which is the first book in this series, earlier this year, and it was fantastic. So if you're looking for a great historical romance, definitely check out some of Virginia Heath's work. This one is Never Rescue a Rogue, Marywell Sisters, book two. And again, it's by Virginia Heath. So last up for me today is straight up historical fiction by Philippa Gregory. This is Dawnlands. It's the Fairmile trilogy, I'm sorry, the Fairmile series, book three. So Philippa Gregory is best known, I think, for her novels about the Tudors, like The Other Boleyn Girl, The Constant Princess, um, The Boleyn Inheritance, all of those. But even before she wrote those, she wrote these sweeping historical family sagas set in England that didn't really focus on royalty. Now here with Dawnlands and the other books in the Fairmile series, she kind of goes back to that and she's focusing on 
the lives of the working people in Britain. So if you're looking for something that's really in-depth and, you know, is going to take you deep into British history, I would recommend Philippa Gregory. This is Dawnlands, Fair Mile, book three. And again, Philippa Gregory is the author. So that is all I have for you today. I hope everyone is doing well, reading lots, and enjoying the fall. It has not been much like fall um, in my part of the country. We've had weather up near the 70s, which is kind of weird for November, but, you know, we'll, we'll take it. Anyway, I will, of course, be back to talk about new books before you know it. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, It kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody. Mm